Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production. Where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we focus on the huge story of the failed European Super League, a plan to create greater revenue for 12 top European clubs, but a huge outcry saw the end of the project in the space of just three days. So, what was behind the plans, and what about the idea that football is for all? Not only football world was uni- is united; all the society is united. And also, while FIFA has always condemned the plans for a European Super League, FIFA President Gianni Infantino spoke last year about plans to start an African Super League with 20 or 24 top clubs paying to take part. And plus, analysis on Tottenham firing their manager Jose Mourinho. Well, so what a week it's been in football, with the bombshell that hit the game, with 12 top clubs signing up to join this new European Super League, only for 10 of them to pull out by Wednesday, leaving the project over in the space of three days. It was Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Tottenham, AC Milan, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Juventus, and Real Madrid who were to play in their own league. But the outcry was so great from fans, players, and administrators. Well, the clubs faced a FIFA ban, meaning that their players wouldn't be able to represent their national teams. And there's an African angle to this too, because while FIFA was totally against the European Super League, FIFA president Gianni Infantino is pushing for the launch of an African Super League, where 20 or 24 clubs will pay 20 million dollars a year to participate. Well, before we get to that, here's the UEFA president Alexander Seferin the day after the news broke. I cannot stress more strongly at this moment: UEFA and the footballing world stand united against the disgraceful, self-serving proposal we have seen in the last 24 hours from a select few clubs in Europe that are fueled purely by greed above all else, and. Not only football world was uni- is united; all the society is united. Governments are united. It's pa- part of our culture. We are all united against this nonsense of a project. We have the English FA, Spanish Federation, Italian Federation, Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, but also FIFA. All our 55 member associations, unanimous in our opposition to this. Cynical plans that are completely against what football should be. Well, that's the UEFA president Alexander Seferin saying it was fueled by greed. But how many times have we said that football is a business these days? What are your thoughts on this massive story, Stuart? Well, Steve, I have to start by saying that it was really ironic that on the day of the announcement by England's so-called six top clubs that. Had the league finished that day, only the two Manchester clubs were in the top four and would actually have qualified for the Champions League. But really, never in my life of following football has anything happened which has been so universally condemned. The other 14 Premier League clubs denounced it. The Premier League and Football Association condemned it. 
ex-players described it as greed. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he would work with the Premier League to stop it, bringing in legislation if necessary. Fans protested outside clubs. Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola said they were against it. Even our future king, Prince William, an Aston Villa supporter for his sins, spoke out against it. And you see, a major criticism was that the six English clubs involved had foreign owners who simply didn't understand football culture and were only interested in making money. But the key moment was perhaps when FIFA and UEFA stepped in, saying that the clubs could go ahead with their plans, but they would have to accept the consequences, which included being banned from their national leagues. And the players would also be banned from playing in the World Cup. And Giovanni Infantino, the head of FIFA, put it very simply, you're either in or out. And so within three days, as we know, all the English clubs changed their mind. But American owners are used to a closed shop format of the NFL, NBA, where there's no promotion and relegation. And they fail to understand how competition is an essential part of how European football works. Let me give you one example. Andy King started his career playing for Leicester City in the fourth tier of English football. By the time he left the club, he had been part of the team that had won the Premier League and played in the Champions League. Everybody loves an underdog story. And the flaw, or rather one of the many flaws in the Super League, was that any of these life member clubs could literally lose every game in the competition, but still be guaranteed an income of millions of dollars and a continuing place at the top table. Now, one really interesting development is that Richard Masters, the CEO of the Premier League, we understand, has written to people like Bruce Buck, the Chelsea chairman, Ferran Soriano from Manchester City and Vinnie Vankat of Arsenal, who hold significant positions in the Premier League hierarchy and suggested to them that they should resign to avoid the embarrassment of being voted off so that big six are actually going to lose influence rather than gain it. It just seems certain now that the Super League is dead and everyone except the owners of some of the big clubs is absolutely delighted. Yeah, indeed, most people were very much against the idea. But to Real Madrid president Florentino Perez said the European Super League was created to save football because young people, he said, are no longer interested in football because of a lot of poor quality games. Uh, any truth in that, Ida? Well, Steve, Perez is the chairman of the European Super League, but I don't know what informs his statement or research, but it surely can't be the same that informs the rest of the world. I mean, football remains the most popular sport globally. This, the idea of the European Super League, at least on the surface, was seemingly a purely commercial move. I mean, the concept has been discussed since the 90s, Steve. So contrary to what some may believe, this isn't an entirely new idea. So, you know, the question, at least for me, would be, why now? Well, everything has taken a hit due to the pandemic. And it could be that the, you know, quote unquote, big clubs are looking for a way to not only cushion themselves against the probable financial loss from the last year, but make a killing while at it. And Steve, some of the numbers are staggering, because whereas a club that wins the UEFA Champions League 
earns up to 80 million pounds, you know, between appearance fees and, of course, the eventual prize money. The Super League was giving clubs a chance to earn close to three times that for a single season. It is absolutely maddening. And Steve, the last time that the powers that be attempted to implement the Super League was in the late 90s. Now, that is something that UEFA counted by expanding it to the 32-team model. And Steve, I should say that history is then repeating itself. Because as we've recently seen, UEFA has approved for a new format for the Champions League. So the shared sentiment amongst the club bosses reportedly has always been that, look, UEFA has really failed to maximize on the commercial potential of this top tier tournament, this grand tournament, you know. And while the Super League has been unanimously rejected, there's no two ways about that. Maybe, Steve, just maybe. It will make the governing bodies relook at how they run things, you know, because for example, all of a sudden UEFA has found six billion euros to inject into the revamped Champions League. But definitely, yes, all in all, I would imagine Perez feels quite abandoned naturally, but he is adamant as ever, saying that the project isn't dead, it's not done, that it's simply on standby. But Steve, this is one case where the fans really showed their power. And contrary to what Perez might say or believe, you know, young people came out and showed that they are still as mad about their football as ever. On standby, so it could come back. Well, and I say that here in Zimbabwe, there's certainly no sign that the popularity of football is declining amongst young people. But as so many views on this and the events of the past few days, and in the blog section of our website, planetsport.tv, uh, we have a blog from Russ Bravo on why the European Super League would have killed the dream. Uh, that includes audio comments uh, from listeners, and we'll hear from Russ later on in the show. It is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And there is an African angle to this story, because while FIFA has always over the years condemned the plans for the European Super League, at the same time, a FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, spoke of his plans to start an African Super League. He said that last year, with maybe 20 or 24 top clubs paying $20 million a year to take part, Infantino saying that it could generate huge revenue. At the same time, that would rule out many of the continent's most famous clubs because of the cost of entering. But uh, all of this just doesn't really add up, does it, Ida? <laughs> Steve, I stand to be corrected here, but I honestly don't know of any African club with $20 million to spend on entry into a competition, you know, despite what the Simba CEO recently tweeted, you know, saying that plans for the African Super League were underway. Many comments have flown round during this absolutely crazy week in football, but I think the one that stuck with me the most went something like, FIFA has been so busy allegedly trying to police the goings-on of African football that a mutiny has been happening in its own backyard without its knowledge, you know? But... As you've asked, Steve, it simply doesn't add up, you know, how the same idea that the world governing body has rebuked for Europe could work in Africa that is miles behind in development. Could be a case of double standards, perhaps, food for thought, 
On the other hand, you look at basketball, for example, where the NBA and the governing body FIBA launched the Basketball Africa League, which is more or less a Pan-African League, and in all honesty, looks to have been positively received. Some would argue, Steve, that this is similar to what FIFA would ideally like CAF to implement, but the, the dynamic, sorry, couldn't be more different. So, Steve, it will be interesting to see how the conversation surrounding the European Super League, as well as its strong rebuke, a rebuke led by FIFA, will shape the development of the African version in the future. Yeah, puzzling. But would it work in Africa? Asking for your thoughts on social media this week. Uh, do we need an African Super League? Uh, while the plans for a European Super League resulted in a huge outcry and the end of the project, uh, the FIFA president Gianni Infantino has spoken of plans to start an African Super League with great revenue anticipated for the clubs who pay to join. Uh, but if it failed in Europe, does Africa need a Super League? Would there be benefits and would it work in Africa? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. So one of the major objections to the European Super League was that football is supposed to be for everyone, not just for the elite. With his thoughts, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Russ Bravo. Us football fans are a hardy lot, optimists in the face of all the evidence, dreamers who refuse to give up that glimmer of hope, despite a regular diet of disappointment. The beautiful game delivers such compelling moments of elation, such heart-stopping drama and such unlikely tales of glory against the odds, we easily forget the much more frequent feelings of frustration, irritation and gut-wrenching despair that we experience week by week. I guess it's because most of us who follow our teams with a passion, and I'm a Brighton and Hove Albion fan, are romantics at heart. We love the spectacle of football because it blends together so much that makes sport such a thrill, fun to watch and take part in. There's the physicality of it. Athletes exhibiting finely tuned attributes from blistering pace to brute strength and stamina to outrageous displays of skill. The sublimely delivered and weighted through pass. The perfectly timed last ditch tackle. The fluid passing move that is almost like a dance in its grace. A mesmeric dribble where a player slaloms past defenders as if they simply aren't there. The deft glanced header into the corner, the thumping free kick in off the woodwork, the fingertip save of an acrobatic keeper. Then there's the community of fandom. Oh, glorious day when we're actually allowed back in en masse. The shared humour, songs and sense of togetherness of following your team. The lows are bearable because they're shared. The highs amplified because they're rarer and to be treasured. Because for most ordinary fans of ordinary clubs, we're chasing a dream. Whether it's winning a cup, getting promotion, playing at the highest level, or even just moving up from semi-pro football to a full-time professional league, we're striving for something, savouring that moment when our little team upsets the odds, defeats our deadly rivals, triumphs in the face of overwhelming odds, does the unexpected. All the money in the world can't buy that. That's why the recently announced Super League plan hatched by Europe's so-called elite and that began unravelling only days later was so anti-football. 
It replaced romance with business. It replaced the dream with a spreadsheet. In creating a version of the game ruled by money, dominated by elitism and shot through with greed, it took away the basics of the beautiful game. 11 versus 11? An even playing field? Somewhere the unexpected can happen? Not in the brave new world they envisaged. There, participation would be by invitation, not merit. Success will be measured by bank balance, the audience of TV millions and sponsors patronage. We will make the rules, we will take the rewards and we will decide who plays. What a contrast with the joy of a small boy or girl kicking a ball on the street with their friends and dreaming of what could be. In the Holy Bible, we read that Jesus had no time for elitism. He called out the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, for wrapping up faith in rules and legalism and missing its heart. Jesus once sent a rich young ruler away sad because he wasn't prepared to sacrifice his wealth and follow him. He spent time with the poor and the rejected, with those on the fringes of society who no one wanted to know. Followers of Jesus are called to be servants, not masters. Those who give generously rather than seek riches. Those who offer grace, love and welcome to all. Forgiven people who see the wonder in the ordinary. As Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Football's treasure surely has to be keeping the dream alive of the young player, of the ordinary fan, not sacrificing everything on the altar of money. Let's hope we'll emerge from this episode with a fresh appreciation of what really matters. Thanks, Russ. That's Russ Bravo. You can read his blog on our website, planetsport.tv. Also, there are audio comments uh, from listeners, plus uh, text messages too. So that's in the blog section of our website, planetsport.tv. And it's called uh, Why the European Super League Would Have Killed the Dream. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Jose Mourinho's departure from Tottenham. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Right to social media now. Last week we asked, does Africa need a continental schools championship? Uh, the new CAF president, Patrice Motsepe, has welcomed the launch of a pilot inter-school competition for Africa. Uh, it's intended to lead to the establishment of an inter-schools competition in the six African zones, and then a pan-African schools championship final. So we asked, what do you think about this? Will it work? Will the schools be able to afford to travel? Will it help to develop African football? And with your comments is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tikiwa. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on Facebook with Modu Saar in the Gambia who says, This is very important for African football and schools. It will help us do away with age cheating, as playing football starts from just three years old. 
to WhatsApp now, and Francisco Dodoma in Malawi agrees. This is definitely a good idea, says Francisco. If we are to build great players and improve our national teams, we need to explore more avenues on how to develop our continental football. I believe this is one of the processes, says Francisco. Lawrence Mendy is in the Gambia. We know that many students have a love for sport, especially football, and this is very helpful to students in schools, says Lawrence. So I think this is a good idea, and I believe it can work. In fact, it will help the development of African football. And not only that, but it can also help build relationships within African schools from different countries. To Uganda now, and Asiku Lawrence is really enthusiastic. In my view, this is a great initiative by the new president, and I support it wholeheartedly, says Asiku. I think it will work if strong measures are put in place to avoid the so-called common issues such as corruption, poor match officiating, and bribery in the game. On the issue of travel, I suggest the best schools from each region are flown in by the federation to the host venue. Surely, this will help develop the game in the continent and help tap the immense and unseen football talent in the schools, says Asiku. And Abdullahi, also in the Gambia, agrees. I think this will go a long way in nurturing grassroots football within the continent. And it has the potential to expose many new young stars of the game, says Abdullahi. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's David Noah in the Gambia. I think that Africa needs a continental school championship. So these are some things that we have been advocating here in Gambia to augment grassroots football. If you look at the history of Gambia, most of our renowned players before, they were doing what we call schoolboy international, engaging in their schools and also traveling with their clubs and sometimes even with the national squad. So if at all now they are bringing this suggestion now, which will allow the schools to nurture young footballers at a young age in their prime, in their schools. You know, they make them grow. And from there, they can integrate in the national squads, such as the under-17s, the under-20s, and also the senior squads. So David is enthusiastic about the CAF initiative, based on what he has seen from a similar scheme to integrate young footballers in his own country. And Kainde in Nigeria can also speak from his own personal experience. Yes, it will help a lot, says Kainde, because when I was still in secondary school in the 1990s, we played in the Principal Cup, and it helped us to know some of the other states. So I believe this will help to develop African football totally. But Usman Boob in the Gambia isn't so sure. With regards to my thoughts on this, says Usman, it will not work for the following reasons financial problems and challenges of mobility from one country to another. And Gabriel Chaponda in Malawi agrees. I don't think it will work as many countries are facing financial problems, says Gabriel. Meanwhile, Alfred Bezai in Nigeria has mixed ideas about the initiative. The idea to have such a competition in Africa is very good and can help to reveal some hidden talents in African schools, says Alfred. However, I don't think the schools can manage to travel around the continent for their games, as most of the schools, if not all, are financially challenged. And Muinga Maibolwa in Zambia has similar mixed opinions. It's an interesting proposal, says Muinga. 
But it would have been better if CAF had concentrated more on age group tournaments involving club youth teams. And we'll leave our final thoughts on this with Gerard Colley, who is a girls football coach in the Gambia. It's a very good idea, which if it happens will really help and take African football to another level, says Gerard. I believe it will happen, but the problem is schools affording to travel from country to country can only be possible with the intervention of the national sports bodies. If CAF will give out sufficient financial support to various sport bodies of every country, then this will surely work and bring a positive change to African sport. So there you have it, Steve. Overwhelming support for this initiative as a good idea but also many reservations about the funding required. So we will have to wait on CAF for their response to that vital question. Indeed. Well, thanks, Ash. That's a Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tikiwa, and thanks to everyone who got in touch with us. Let's go back to Stuart Weir in the UK now. And besides the European Super League drama, another big story was the departure of Jose Mourinho from Tottenham, Stuart. Well, Tottenham took advantage of the Ferrari over the Super League to dismiss Jose Mourinho this week. The timing was strange because just five days before Tottenham were due to play in the final of the League Cup, giving Mourinho, ironically, an opportunity to win a first trophy for the club. But Tottenham are currently seventh in the Premier League, little chance of qualifying for next year's Champions League, as well as that Tottenham were knocked out of the FA Cup by Everton, conceding five goals to Everton. And in the Europa League, they went to Dinamo Zagreb with a 2-0 lead and lost 3-0. Beyond the results, Mourinho has had well-publicised disagreements with at least six of his players, including Gareth Bale, for whom Tottenham are paying an absolute fortune in the loan deal from Real Madrid. Yet Bale had only started six league games. And then there's Deli Alley, an England regular not long ago. Only two Premier League starts this season under Mourinho. But it's a pattern in Mourinho's career that since leaving Chelsea in 2009, where he had so much success, he's been at Inter Milan for two years, Real Madrid three seasons, Chelsea again three, Manchester United three, and now Tottenham 17 months. He never seems to be able to build long-term relationships with players or clubs. I always thought it was a big mistake of Tottenham to be so hasty in getting rid of Pochettino just months after he'd taken them to the Champions League final. I also never thought that a defensively-minded coach like Mourinho was a good fit for a team like Tottenham with a reputation for positive and attacking football. And he certainly has not improved the team. His record of 1.6 points per game at Tottenham is the worst in his four spells at Premier League clubs. And the statistics also show that under Mourinho, Tottenham have had less attacking possession and less shots on goal than under Pochettino. I do wonder if we've now seen the last of Jose Mourinho in the Premier League. But don't be too sorry for him. He's expected to receive up to $20 million compensation from Tottenham for the remaining time in his contract. And that means that he has been paid in his career over $100 million by clubs who fired him. Not a bad salary for failing. Tottenham have replaced him with Ryan Mason, who's 29, one of their youth coaches. Tottenham won their first game 2-1 against Southampton, and they attacked much more than previously. Is this the new Spurs? 
Yeah, sounds more like the Spurs that we know. And I must say, a couple of months into the season, when Tottenham were on top, I thought the Mourinho might win the title with them, but uh, all gone downhill since then. And a Stuart, no quadruple for Manchester City. Well, yes, indeed. The FA Cup final will be between Chelsea and Leicester City. Both semi-finals resulted in a 1-0 victory, and both goals were scored by Africans. Incidentally, Steve, both goals were scored with the left foot after 55 minutes by Kelechi Ehenecu, who else, for Leicester City. And when Chelsea beat Manchester City, the goal was scored by the Moroccan Hakim Zayek. He hasn't had the easiest of times at Chelsea in his first season, getting only eight league starts. And as you say, Steve, this does spell the end of Manchester City's quest for four trophies. You know, there's a saying in football, which club wants it more? And when you look at the team selections, Guardiola left out Phil Foden, who has been in excellent form recently, and included two or three players who had not played much at all, almost as if he was giving them game time. And crucially, he played the American Zach Stefan in goal in place of the normally reliable Ederson. And it didn't go well with Stefan being at fault with the goal. Chelsea just seemed to want it more and Manchester City have to concentrate on their other trophies. Yes, and we'll see if Man City can make it a treble instead then. They play Tottenham in the EFL Cup final on Sunday. The Premier League games including West Ham-Chelsea on Saturday. That's a big top four battle. Thanks, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ash Dekiwa in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.